Yeah, baby. Welcome to Every Month Madness, the show that knows any month is a great month to take the burning questions of pop culture and pit them against each other in a winner-take-all battle royale NCAA-style bracket. Tonight, they may have never been on the charts, but they were the top of your hearts. We look at 90s no-hit wonders with Chris and Curtis and Ed Clark. Let's tip it off, baby! Hey everybody, I'm Joe and your host for Every Month Madness and I want to take a minute before we start tonight to give you some important housekeeping notes. First of all, Every Month Madness brought to you by Three Crones Productions. Check them out on Facebook or Twitter or anywhere you go to find podcast goodness. If you like our particular show, please show us that you like us by giving us a like, subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes is a great way to show some podcast love. So don't hesitate to do that. I also want to point out something that's in our show notes tonight. I am uh, lucky enough to have been contributor to a very cool literary magazine this month. The McNeese Review came out. And this is a literary magazine that has defied all odds. Uh, my very good friend, Shannon Wolf was the nonfiction editor, and she was part of a team that persevered in such a huge way. They were affected by very extreme weather, including I think three hurricanes that hit their part of Louisiana past year. And then of course the pandemic, they had every reason to halt production on a literary magazine. Particular group of artists knew that they had to get this magazine out. And so give them some love by checking them out. Consider going online and buying a copy. It's some really great work. It is by far the most deeply personal poetry I've ever contributed to a magazine. So I feel very blessed to be a part of it. So check out the McNeese review uh, in our show notes. So I also want to take a minute and deeply thank our guests tonight, Kristen Curtis and Ed Clark. I can listen to these two humans talk about music all day. And hopefully as you listen to the episode, you'll completely agree with me. Some really hot takes, some great insights on 90s music and really just music in general. Uh, check out Ed Clark's genius work um, and listen to his brilliant music. The uh, links to all of that will be in our show notes. And Kristen Curtis on WXPN, the link to her show and that radio station in general in show notes. If you are a music fan, you need to be listening to WXPN because it is just, it is a paradise for the music nerds. You'll thank me. All right, without further ado, let's do it. 90s No Hit Wonders are on the bracket tonight in Every Month Madness. I'm Joe Costal. So I am fanboying like crazy because I'm absolutely in love with my guests today. We have my favorite DJ in all of the world. And maybe that's not fair, Kristen Curtis, because I don't travel the world looking, <laughs> listening to radio shows. And yet somehow I'm confident that I take the Pepsi challenge with you. We are so lucky to welcome to Every Month Madness the host of the WXPN Morning Show, assistant music, music director of the coolest station in Philadelphia. So if you're not from Philadelphia, you can listen online, otherwise you're missing out. Kristen Curtis is here. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to talk about music of the 90s with you today. I am so excited that you're here. I cannot even tell you how happy I am to talk about this with you. Now, my first question, anybody who listens to your show knows the answer. <laughs> I mean, you have to really, anybody who knows you at all, right, knows the answer to this. Yeah. Follow you on social media, you know the answer to this. But tell us your quintessential 90s band, Kristen. My favorite band of all time is No Doubt. You know, they've got a song on their debut album that talks about how they meshed the styles of Five Alive and intertwined and fused it. And they just have such a weird sound that I think is probably not honestly represented through their singles the most. And... Um, I just don't think that they get the credit they deserve. Like everyone focuses on the star power that is Gwen Stefani, but Tom, Tony, Adrian, and their horn players are really, really talented musicians and songwriters. And I just, I love the the four, five, six, depending on what what version of the band you're counting. They're like, they're just incredible. I love them. Yeah. How do you feel about Gwen's evolution, Kristen? Like, do is it something you feel like ownership over? Or you know what I mean? Like, are, do you feel defensive about it? Or how do you, what, what's your take? Should we turn this podcast into a conversation about Gwen Stefani? I mean, quite <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I've been increasingly unhappy with decisions that she has made since like 2016. Um, and then if I go back in time, if I'm like more honest, since I'm like more removed from my like lifelong obsession with her, I can start to see that like 2006 is probably actually the time that I start disagreeing with decisions that she's made. I mean, I was really happy about the first solo album and Tony co-wrote and produced some of those songs with her. And it was just supposed to be like a fun dance pop record. And it was supposed to be totally separate from No Doubt, but there's a whole history. They 
all got a new manager and he told Gwen she didn't meet the guys and you can see it. And like, I just, I'm very unhappy with her right now, but it's like a tough love. I'm really hoping that she gets back together with them and they smooth it over. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that you totally mom her. You you really, you dove right in. I mean, you've chronicled a timeline of her bad decisions. That's, that's some mom work there right go. there yeah. for sure. <laughs> Excellent. Ed Clark, film teacher, part-time critic, uh, one of my favorite musicians in the entire world. Ed, do you have a 90s frontman that you dad his decision-making of? I wanted to chime in about No Doubt. Yeah, go ahead, great. So, cause it got my brain thinking, it's her brother that got her into music and he cut his teeth being like a piano player on like Rancid records. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I already fell down this rabbit hole today of, of the great bands that were popular in like the 90s have some form of DIY roots. And it's hard for people that remember like the days before the internet to accept bands that existed on like, I call it like an internet scene. So there's something so, it's, it seems almost disingenuous that they cut their teeth on the internet as opposed to like, I picture like no matter what Gwen Stefani does you know she played some rowdy punk show in a basement somewhere in like 1992 and that right right exactly Chris oh no I was just I agree with you Ed that's a really good point I think of her on which sublime album is it it's like Robin in the Hood right where she's Salt Red song yeah there is a DIY it's just a different DIY today though right yeah like in a way it 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 is it's just that the scene is online. And, you know, that just feels like some kind of post-apocalyptic nightmare to me. But I, it shouldn't, <laughs> it does. Well, to put it mildly, it's a post-apocalyptic nightmare. It's yeah. a so very different that, culture, yeah. Yeah, so is that just, is that less authentic or are we just old? Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. So what's the band though, Ed? What's the band that takes you back most, most important? Like, the band All that right. transports you. So you already kind of know, and it, it's not totally fair because technically they start in the 80s, but for me, it's the Pixies. Okay. It's not that they're my favorite band, but I, you know, I will die on the hill that they're the most important 90s band. All right. Well, we'll save that because they are on they're on our bracket. So that it's actually a perfect segue into how we did this today. Let me give you a little bit of background on how this works because we have been, uh, I've, I've been answering questions on social media all week, justifying my definition of no hit wonder. And lots of people have been throwing bands at me and kind of throwing them at me and saying, why isn't this band on the list? So let me explain very quickly how this worked. I compiled from several websites. I went to Stereo Gum, I was on Pitchfork, but primarily I used a site called Spin Diddy and I'll put all of this in the show notes so you guys can go check this out. And I compiled just these lists of bands of the decade and Kristen actually I went to XPN site and pulled off any band that had a song on any of your amazing charts that you guys have put together through the years so I took them off of the Rolling Stone album list any band that was repped anywhere I put it into a giant excel spreadsheet then I went to the billboard uh, chart chartings and I took out any band that had ever had a showing in the top 100 so the definition of hit that we're using is 99, 100 to one any year that the Billboard Top 100 was charting this sort of thing. So to make our list, a band had to never be repped on that. They could, now the problem becomes is that people will say, no, they had a number one hit on the alt rock chart or on the mainstream, or there's like an indie rock. I think at one point there was even a grunge chart, you know, like when, when grunge was like the disco of the nineties and everybody had to just be playing it, you know? Everybody had a grunge album, you know, just like everybody had a disco album. So there was even a grunge chart, but I did not count any of those. If you had a top 200, a hot 200 hit, we also didn't count that. So you had to have charted in the, in the Billboard Top 100. Then to make the list more manageable, because Kristen and at the time, my buddy Sean will attest to the fact that the initial list was, un, was unruly. It was just too big. So I, I went back to Billboard and I... I put all of the bands in order based on their other accolades. So if they had a, a hot 100 album chart, if they had um, some sort of billboard award for influence or legacy, I put them on the list. So this is how we arrived at the, I think it's 14 bands that we're working with today. So that's it. There was no editorializing. I didn't just pick who I liked better. It was very 
fine-tuned, unemotional mathematical process. But to get the two of you in the zone to start picking out of 90s things, I figured we'd start with an icebreaker, a little something I call this or that. I'm going to give you 90s cultural pairings, and you guys, lightning round style, you make your choice, okay? So this will see, too, if you guys can hit like a simpatico groove. You know, some of my guests are like, they're, they're moving. They're on the same wavelength, and then sometimes we get a lot of discord. So, Ed, you ready? We're going to start off with you. Here we go. We're going to do a 90s this or that. Spice Girls or Destiny's Child? Spice Girls. Kristen? <laughs> Spice Girls. Spice Girls. Kristen, NSYNC, Backstreet. NSYNC. Ed? NSYNC. Wow, so far we're on. Ed, Nickelodeon or Disney Channel? Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. There we go. Kristen, Friends or Full House? Ooh, uh, Full House. Full House. Wow, <laughs> Ed, that pause made I didn't know which way you are going to go with that one. Ed, Sex in the City or The Sopranos? I'm more familiar with Sex in the City, unfortunately. Oh, goodness. Uh, not that I'm extremely familiar with either, but I'll go with The Sopranos. Uh, Kristen, Nintendo or Sega? Sega. Nintendo. Okay, here we go. Justin or Brittany, Ed? Justin. Brittany. Oh, I'm sorry, Ed, I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. Justin, <laughs> Justin is actually the wrong answer. There's, I'm sorry, that one has one. Kristen, Leo or Brad? Uh, Leo. Brad. <laughs> okay, Titanic, Ed, or Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump. Titanic. It gave us the gift that is Kate Winslet. Oh, gosh. Mayor of Easttown. Now, <laughs> is that is that Kristen as a Philly DJ? Do you get that reference to 100 times a day or? Not yet. And I'll be okay if I do. It was such a good series. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kristen, Biggie or Tupac? Uh, a Biggie. Biggie. And no contest. By far the most important of the questions, Ed. You ready? Don't screw this one up. Macarena or Mambo number five? Macarena. Macarena. Yeah, that's the right answer, you guys. All right. Excellent job, you guys, for our 90s this or that lightning round. Let's get into the tournament. Our number one seed, the band Fish, was the number one vote getter on our poll. Our Every Month Madness listeners put it through to an automatic bid to the second round. In the second round, it will face off against either number four seed Veruca Salt or number five seed, Silver Chair. Kristen, you start us off. Uh, am I going against either Veruca Salt or Silver Chair right now? It's, it's Veruca Salt versus Silver Chair in our first matchup. Oh my God. So of the bands that I know we're gonna be talking about today, Silver Chair is actually one of the two that I am rather obsessed with and could talk a lot about. Um, so I'm gonna have to go with Silver Chair, which makes me really sad because Veruca Salt is badass. And I, you know, looking at the list, not knowing where they'd fall in the bracket, was planning on voting for them. Um, I mean, Eight Arms to Hold You is such a perfect album. And I love that they took their name from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, oh, that's such a hard decision, but I'm gonna have to go with Silver Chair here. You know, it's so funny that you say that because I convinced myself when I thought about how awesome Veruca Salt's name, just, just their name, their band name was so cool. And I was like, this, is Silver Chair a reference to something? And I had to like do a deep dive and it's not at all. They actually, the, the, they, so Silver Chair was only like 15, right? When yeah. they hit really young. I, I just remember their video of them being little kids or about my age or maybe younger than me even, which made me really question my life choices at that point. But the Silver Chair said that they had to make up a story because they were getting asked by so many journalists about why it was that. And they made up some story about um, a Nirvana, the Nirvana song Sliver and them <laughs> hearing it on the radio. And, but really they were just thumbing through a catalog <laughs> and there was a silver chair. <laughs> Sometimes it's simplicity, right? Keep it simple, stupid. That's what works. All right, so you're going with silver chair, Kristen. Ed, what do you think? Uh, didn't the lead singer have an eating disorder? Yes, did he, he did. Daniel Johns, yeah. Wow. And That's what Anna's song is about, yeah. Oh, and that and so it was pu public and mm -hmm. hmm. All right. What are you thinking? I I'm not super familiar with like Baruka Salt, but I was like thinking I was I'm more familiar with Luscious Jackson. And I'm wondering were they bigger? They had a hit. They had a hit. Naked Eye was a top was a Billboard Hot One Hundred hit. Okay. 
so they were not on the they were not on the list. So what's your what's your pick here? I'm comfortable going with silver chair. Going with silver chair. Wow. I gotta say I'm surprised. Um I will go on a longer rant later about okay. why. Yeah, Veruca Salt was an important band, right? I mean, one of those bands that I think, you know, in a way sort of defines the 90s with their riot girl flannels and their, you know, <laughs> just showing up and getting ready to kick butt. I really like their albums. Um, Eight Arms to Hold You still holds up, Kristen. It totally uh, does. And I'm trying to remember one of my listeners told me once that they heard an amazing quote about Veruca Salt, something about like the flying V formation of a band. Like they're just, they're so cool. Silver Chair though, we will we'll keep them in there. The Aussies move on. They will face Fish, our number one seed in the second round. All right, so good, we're moving right along. Ed, our second round matchup is number three seed, Bad Religion against number six seed, a band that I'm surprised our listeners even put through. I thought there would be enough backlash to keep them or he out but the number six seed is Marilyn Manson. So it's Marilyn Manson versus Bad Religion for the next matchup. What do you think, Ed? Well, it's super easy for me to go with Bad Religion. And, uh, you know, as a fan of the band, I still have memories of friends of mine actually getting hurt at Bad Religion shows, which was a shocker for us. Like, the shows were still that rough. But, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I, I sort of think that they're kind of like the great-grandfathers of, like, melodic California pop punk that just kind of is, is literally having a resurgence at this very moment be, it, because it just so happens that the singer of Bad Religion is the first guy that really learned how to sing in key. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going with Bad Religion and, and I think Suffering Against the Grainer Classics. Yeah, yeah, good, good call. Kristen? Uh, I have to agree with Ed here. I mean, I, I just can't even in good conscience really put Marilyn Manson through. And I have to say that I'm more familiar with Manson's music than I am with Bad Religion. And I actually really liked Dope Show and um, uh, Beautiful People. But when it comes down to like the music itself, if we want to keep it focused on that and not on the bad behavior of Marilyn Manson that's come to light really recently, um, you know, Bad Religion's music has a message. And Manson, I think, kind of like pretended that he did, but it was really just kind of faux like shock rock music and um as fun as it was to see him live once and wonder whether he was snorting coke out of that compact mirror that he had on stage and like just being that experience i gotta say that i think that bad religion has a lot more substance here than marilyn manson does yeah no and i i agree with you so much and i think it's okay for us to talk a little bit about that because i found i felt a little i felt disappointed by Marilyn Manson. And and now especially what, what, what has come out is so egregious and it seems uh, so likely to me that these, that these allegations are true. Um, a lot of our listeners expressed remorse about Marilyn Manson in the poll. I mean, people were saying things like, oh, you know, there were some people who were out and out just, you know, speaking of canceling, but there were also people who were like, you know, I feel really um, betrayed by him because he represented something that I think that was important to people. And it, you know, what I think when, when these, when these, um, I don't want to call him a character. Is that unfair to call him a character? I guess there's a better word that I'm just not like, a persona? like, but he was definitely, yeah, persona. Exactly. Kristen, it, someone whose persona was so meant to be for people who felt marginalized and on the fringe. And then when these things happen or these things come to light, I think there's a deep disappointment that people feel when something like this happens, I right? I totally agree, 100%, you nailed it. He was supposed to create space for certain people and then actually like took advantage of that space and really like, you know, fed into his power that he had created so much. And I feel like maybe I'm off base here, but I feel like people like Brian Warner are like the kind of people that Warren Zevon wrote Excitable Boy about, you know, where it's like, oh, we'll just give him a pass because he he's an artist, um, but you gotta, we got to be honest with ourselves. It's yeah. I, I totally believe everything I'm hearing about his sexual misconducts as well. Yeah, me too. I remember that little snippet that he did in bowling for Columbine. Yeah. And, and, and I remember being so proud of that sentiment and how well edited his remarks were in the context of that film. And boy, he just came out of that moment, that cultural moment looking like a hero, you know, for lack of a better word, because that sentiment was so valuable, I think, to young people and to anybody who's ever struggled with mental health issues. It just seemed so poignant. And, and this is 
it's just so disappointing and and awful. And um, you know, there were lots of people who who were mad at me for including him. But I'm glad we got a chance to have this conversation because a lot of 90s kids were sad about this and I think it needs to be discussed. Can I bring it back to something we started with? Because I, I see like a connection to what, what was uh, Kristen said about no doubt. So when she was praising no doubt, you know, she's talking about the, the relationship between members of the band, which instantly makes me think of like Fleetwood Mac and like yeah. those great, you know, kind of dynamics that power a band, but no doubt is so 90s you know there's nothing in their sound that's even remotely like Fleetwood Mac when Marilyn Manson's music is not good he's simply <laughs> in the wake of Alice Cooper and yeah. it was done better Alice Cooper's live show was better so musically he's irrelevant and I also feel like the way you deal with people with Marilyn Manson is you don't give them attention that's what he feeds off on <laughs> and so I just remember even when I when I was younger, I I thought he was cringy because I was you just want attention. <laughs> what do you stand for? Yeah, it is no, taking I, all the cake here. He's got it one hundred percent. Yeah, no, that was that was that's true. But at the same time, you know, I think Alice Cooper would be the first one to admit that sometimes the music and this sounds really dumb, but sometimes the music doesn't matter if someone is representing something that speaks to you in a world where you don't find a lot of things to hook into. Fair, but Alice Cooper's live shows had like beheadings. Yeah. It's not just some guy that's just drugged out of his mind. Yeah. You know, half naked. Like, it doesn't seem like he has a whole lot of respect for his audience or his fans. Whereas I would make the argument that Alice Cooper does. So when you go to an Alice Cooper show, he's going to give 150%. Yeah. I know, I'm, yeah, there's art for entertainment's sake. It's, it is entertainment, but I think... Alice Cooper is better than him in every every sense of the word. Yep. Uh, no, absolutely. All right. Bad Religion beats Marilyn Manson as it should be. Good riddance to you, Marilyn. Um, we move on to our next round to face Bad Religion in round two is either going to be number two seed Primus or number seven seed Belle and Sebastian in our most... <laughs> <laughs> In our most eclectic matchup of the evening. All right. What do you guys think? Ed, I think you go first this time. I go first? Uh, I just know that when I was in college, if I made a mix CD for a girl, you always lead with Belle and Sebastian. But, I, you know, I can't think of a band that sounds more twee. <laughs> who, who, like, you know, who needs boys when Lisa's around? I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, don't, I have a ton of thoughts about it. I'm going to go with Primus. Okay. Oh, no, I don't know if I agree. Although I don't know how you compare the two of these like at all. Like they're not, they're not even on the same plane. Um, but I am a sucker for like sad indie rock and Bell and Sebastian just have such great song titles too. Like get me away from here. I'm dying. Like just some of them sound so great. They're like, they sound happy, but they are sad. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I want Belle and Sebastian to go through, but Les Claypool is a really, really cool dude and Primus is fun. So, um, gosh, Joe, do you get to be a tiebreaker? Yeah. Here? So I get my first, uh, my first, uh, I get my first at bat here. Yeah. Kristen, I, I feel you. And you know, what's funny. I, I really tried to do my homework for this show. I listened to a lot of Belle and Sebastian. And I kept thinking, and while there was a part of my brain, Ed, that said exactly what you said, that like, it's hard to feel emotional, except that I feel emotional about this, right? Like, it's hard to hook in about what exactly it is. I also kept having the thought that this is a blueprint for a lot of music that would come after it, and not directly after it, but would wait a few years. And Kristen, you are certainly the expert of our triad here. So you, I will allow you to speak to this. Is there an essence of like, something aging a little bit longer to show just how innovative and influential it was. Like in a way, you know how like the talking heads weren't just, you know, pre they weren't just predating an entire sound. It would be two decades before what they were doing really came into the, into the consciousness, right? Like, so I, I feel like Bell and Sebastian sounds very new. Of all the bands that we're gonna talk about, they're probably the one we can plug plug into contemporary radio most seamlessly. Am I off base here, Kristen, or do you or do you see that as well? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I think you're right. There's something to that about 
certain certain bands and certain styles of music aging like fine wine. And when you do think about like contemporaries of Bell and Sebastian, if you were just to play them for someone who wasn't aware of the context and the history of when they came out, you might end up thinking that like the Shins are their contemporaries. Or I guess I think of Elliot Smith, who's also a very 90s kind of person who I thought might have made it into this no hit wonders poll. But yeah, no, I think you're right. They have inspired a lot of people, like probably even Phoebe Bridgers, like who's having a moment now would really claim Bell and Sebastian as someone who's been a big influence on her. Yeah, that's exactly right. Ed, what do you think? I think that's fair. I guess I just see them as more a 2000s phenomenon. Whereas like when I think of Primus, I think liquid television on MTV and like videos and those strength, you know, so they feel more 90s to me. But again, I think that's a 90s that's very much still plugged into the 80, right? Cause like they're in Bill and Ted, right? You know, like, so they're, right. I see them as, as being kind of a carryover of the 80s, really shaping the alternative culture of the 90s. Whereas Bell and Sebastian, I think take foothold for me in the early 2000s. And yeah. it's definitely fair to say that their style is aged much better. Whereas, you know, whereas the Primus thing, which is almost like weirdo funk, you know, progressive music is just really not having a moment at all. <laughs> right. So, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, you know, let's let's just let Bell and Sebastian win this round. Yeah. So the the advantage I have over you guys is having arranged the bracket. I saw this really difficult match coming. And I and in the end of the day, when I thought about it, if called upon, I I thought I would vote for Primus. And and the reason why is because looking at Bell and Sebastian's discography their best work really comes in the 2000s. And so you're absolutely right. Primus, you know, first album, 89, you know, Sailing the Seas of Cheese is like 92. So it really kind of ushers in that sound and that more conducive with that time period. Whereas Bell and Sebastian got a, one or two records in at the end of the 90s, but their really groundbreaking work, their best work, I think, was in the 2000s. So for that reason, really on a technicality, Kristen, we're going to go with Primus and we're going to leave them to have the much... Um, much easier matchup of of them versus Bad Religion in the next round. All right, I have, I have one thing to add. Though. Yeah, Primus is on the soundtrack to the original Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and there's a whole generation of alternative musicians now that literally refer to that video game soundtrack as like a gateway drug. So it's kind of interesting. So maybe in the next couple of years, we might hear something that sounds a bit like like Primus, because that's becoming like a vintage tastemaker thing. The kids that were really little when they played that for the first time. My my kids still play Tony Hawk, which I'm, I'm amazed. Like I go down to the den, I see them playing Tony Hawk. I feel like I stepped into like hot tub time machine. It's like, <laughs> really? Like literally the first time I was just like, is this Tony Hawk? But they love it. I don't know. I think they think it's like, it's like, you know, a little throwback to them. All right. We are going now to the other side of the bracket. We have our four bands in place for the second round, but we're go we have two matchups in here that are killers. You guys killers. And one that I think is a no brainer. Okay. So I won't tell you which is which our first matchup on the other side of the bracket pits the number two seed, the Pixies against number seven seed Sleater Kinney. Kristen. Oh, I mean, we already know what Ed's going to say here. And I, I'm probably inclined to agree with him. Although like part of me is like the conversation that we just had about Bell and Sebastian being more relevant in the 2000s and Ed, I look forward to being uh, schooled. But I think the Pixies most influential work were the two records that came out in the late 80s. Um, so for that reason, I think I'm gonna have to go with the lady trio of Slater Kenny here. Um, Ed, Ed, it's very hard to argue the exact logic you just employed. <laughs> <laughs> when you kicked out Bell and Sebastian, because I agree with Kristen. I, go ahead. I, I, I don't disagree. I think in a weird way, it's like you can't look at the decade as like 1990 to 1999. Like, I think that the boundaries start to blur maybe a couple years before. So I was talking to Joe earlier today, and like, I look at it from just a sonic thing. And for me, it's the Pixies do the quiet, loud, dynamic which is the same thing Nirvana does. And I'm saying that you see it literally power every hit of the 90s, even after grunge. Like I was, I told Joe, like my whole theory was that that Pixies formula dies around 97 when Blur like makes a parody of it with song two. Um, but it like, it literally the whole decade, I would even argue that no doubt is copying that model because Ska 
the, the kind of third wave ska they play is quiet loud. It's that like clean upstroke guitar followed by distorted guitar. Mm. That's, that is even the Pixies model. I would argue that Slater Kinney is using the Pixies model, but I think that right now they're the way more influential band. But I, I think, again, we're having the conversation. Are they a 2000s band or are they a 90s band or are we just moving the goalposts here? I, I don't know. You got to tell us. I, I think you're at, that was both of you. The commentary is right on. It's awesome. But we are picking the best 90s no hit wonder band. And, you know, I, the Pixies are on my list for greatest bands ever. But in this particular matchup, I don't, I'm really leaning towards picking Slater Kenny because I just think they're more of a 90s band. Plus, dig me up. I mean, come on. I, and you know what? I, I'm fine with it going to Slater Kenny because of albums. You know, so like I would even say like by the time the Pixies get the trompe mind, I'm starting to think they're a little inconsistent. Um, so based But correct on, me if I'm wrong. The only 90s Pixies band is Bossa Nova, no? I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah, you I, know. I, I think so. We can take a second and look. I, uh, we can, there I are can edit two. This out. It's Bossa Nova in 90 and Trump Lamond in 91. And then they okay. didn't release any more music for a good like 13 years. Do you guys really turn to those albums as influential as the Pixies are? Do you ever throw those on? Tell me. Not really. Yeah, but I will throw Dig Me Up on and have no remorse. <laughs> I, I had Slater Kenny on yesterday, so I can't, I can't, I can't talk. Also, everything that Carrie Brownstein has done outside of the band, I don't know if that's allowed to factor in, but yes. Portlandia, I mean, she's so cool. She's awesome. So funny. She yeah. is so cool. I know. She's ridiculously cool. She's like Kristen Curtis level cool. She's <laughs> no, really, she's, really, she's really cool. cooler than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. And I think that that has to factor in, right? I mean, because then when you start doing that, then you got the Frank Black problem, right? I mean, it's also very cool. I got to say, like, we had the Pixies come do a free at noon for WXPN, and they knew what we wanted to hear. Like, yeah, they played a bunch of new stuff, but they totally closed it out with, like, um, you know, their, their hits. Um, uh, Gigantic. What else did they play? I'm fairly sure they played Where Is My Mind. I mean, I was like, uh, oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah, that is yeah. cool. And Debaser to this moment. Debaser, yeah, that's me. the one. I, Debaser, I can't. I mean, I, that's, I might as well be. 18 years old all over again. I was gonna add like an another thing, kind of like I threw him with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I kind of feel like they had a whole other moment with Fight Club. You yes, know? that final scene with the buildings going down and where is my mind playing? Iconic. All right, Pixies, we hardly knew ye. You oh, and happy belated birthday, Kim Deal, who just turned 60 this week. Shut the front door, Kristen Curtis. Yep. Yes, she did. She and her twin She's sister 60? Kelly. 60? Yeah, yeah. What's uh? What is today's date? I think it's today. Actually, they might be turning sixty today. <laughs> oh goodness! Oh my goodness! All right. Well, there you go. Band there, the Breeders. Yeah, the Breeders. All right, can yeah. They well, they definitely. I mean, Cannonball was a hit, so they were not. They could not be counted. All right, uh, moving on. Number three seed, a band whose love on the pole baffled me, and maybe you, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys will school me. Number three seed, Pantera against number six seed, Dinosaur Jr. Ed? No, <laughs> no, I, I, I can't pick. Technically, I'm too young to weigh in on this, but I have a cousin who's like 10 years older than me, all right? And he, he was into punk rock, skateboarding, wallet chains, dyed hair. And when I was 14, I wanted to be him, right? And he loved Pantera and Dinosaur Jr. All right, so he has two amazing stories. One is that he went to see Pantera in the 90s with Slayer at the Electric Factory. And I was like, oh my God, was that like the most amazing show ever? And he's like, I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't remember any of it. But I was incredibly intoxicated. Pantera started playing. I get in a fight, I get knocked out, and I wake up in the alleyway next to the Electric Factory with one shoe which I'm like is ultimately probably the best Pantera show story I've ever heard. But the other thing that he told me um, is, you know, if you want to play guitar, you got to play guitar like Jay Mascus. Like he is like the ultimate punk rock guitar hero, which. Guitar God. 
you know what? I'm I'm okay saying that. I am going to give it to Dinosaur Jr. And the reason I'm going to give it to Dinosaur Jr. is the last three records they have done are their best albums. And they just like weathered every trend. They stuck to what they were and it worked there. You know, they just recently worked with the amazing Kurt Vile and that is just like peanut butter and jelly. It's like, can Kurt Vile just join the band permanently? That kind of sleepy folky. I love Neil Young, but I also love punk rock thing. That is very much of the moment as well. And Pantera, and as, a, as a Pantera fan, I think they definitely influenced metal, but even in their own career, they were really running out of steam at the end and they were like changing their sound. So for me, it's 100% Dinosaur Jr. They're, they, they, they're hardcore music, folk music, punk music, indie, like everything. And that kind of like just staying true to who you are and ignoring scenes, it's Dinosaur Jr. Okay. Kristen? I, I got to agree with Ed. I mean, I will shamefully admit that I'm really not all that familiar with Pantera. Heavy metal is not necessarily an alley that I walk down that often, although I will say R.I.P. Dimebag. You seemed like a really cool dude. Um, but Dinosaur Jr., I mean, in addition to that perfect description that Ed just gave us of the blending of their styles, um, the combo of Jay Maskus and Lou Barlow is so great. Like, there, you just get two people who work really well together and... Um, I think there's another band that we're going to end up having this conversation about, but that like creative strife between the two of them, which led Lou Barlow to give us some other really cool 90s bands like Folk Implosion. I think you got to give it to Dinosaur Jr. here. Yeah, perfect. Well said, you guys. That's exactly right. All right, Dinosaur Jr. moves on to the next round. And this one, this one's a mind blower too. You guys ready, Kristen? You got to start this one off. Oh, no. Number four seed, Pavement versus number five seed, Wilco. Okay, well, Wilco is the other band that I am flat out obsessed with and like out of the whole crew that we're talking about today um so oh that's so hard though because pavement's such a cool band <laughs> um i no, i'm flipping this table because i know what ed's gonna say <laughs> no you don't no you don't okay all right sorry Kristen. go ahead oh, you're totally fine i mean i just think that like oh wilco has now gone from like the 90s into now and they're still relevant and i still think jeff tweedy is like the coolest dude and they've written some like really really timeless songs that make me weep like they hit me in the feels and pavement is is fun but i don't know that i have that kind of emotional attachment to pavement that i do to wilco songs um yeah yeah i'm definitely gonna have to go with wilco on this one i'm interested to hear what you have to say ed okay so wilco is probably my favorite band but i'm i'm gonna go with pavement and i'm gonna <laughs> and i'm gonna tell you why I don't think Wilco are a 90s band. And it's because, let, let's see. So we have AM followed by the underrated masterpiece, Summer Teeth. But AM is the only album that kind of sounds like alt country to me, which was a huge trend when I was like in college in the early 2000s, like alt country was really a popular. And I kind of feel like, the story of Wilco's careers are always 10 years ahead of the curve. So when they were a 90s band, they made an, a, an okay alt-country record that was probably overshadowed by Sunbolt. So as a 90s band, I don't, I don't see them as a 90s band. I, I think Pavement is the more influential 90s band. I think Wilco is the band of the early 2000s. You know, once they hit their stride, they release Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot. You know, they become, you know, essentially the American Radiohead. They implode folk music, uh, kind of like Dinosaur Jr., ignore trends and just invent their own genre. Great DIY roots. Jeff Tweedy is definitely a fantastic songwriter. I, I mean, personally, I think they're a better band than Pavement. But I'm going to go with Pavement as the 90s band. Okay. But, fair. Go ahead. Yeah. Kristen, yeah, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'll, considering we've laid this groundwork before with a couple other arguments that we've made, I'm going to have to agree with Ed here. As much as I love Wilco, I will admit that my favorite album of theirs is A Ghost Is Born, which is like well into 2000s. And um, actually, they were the band that I was talking about when we were discussing Jay Maskus and Lou Barlow. And really, I guess we should be talking about um, Uncle Tupelo here when it comes down to talking about Jeff Tweedy and Jay Farrar and their differences and how we ended up getting 
so much music out of them. But um, yeah, let's let's go with Pavement. Their entire discography actually does take place during the 90s. And uh, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, Slanted and Enchanted. I mean, those are a couple of quintessential like indie alternative rock songs from the decade or albums from the decade. So let's go with Pavement. Okay, it's Pavement. Yeah, I, I just, I, I agree with you. Wilco's the better band for sure. Um, and, and it's an interesting thought, is Wilco the band of the 2000s? It's probably easier. That might be an easier bet than even what we're trying to do. In a way, maybe we've cheated. <laughs> maybe we've created a cheat for ourselves by really looking at, you know, what makes someone a 90s band so we don't have to create a hierarchy of what's good. But man, Pavement just, Pavement brings it all back. I mean, I just, no other band puts me firmly back in that time period than that one. And they, they, they just wrote a, they wrote a blueprint that was, you know, that was just followed for far longer than the decade that they dominated and they didn't dominate it. Right. I mean, they, they never went major label. I mean, they did a lot of the same things that Dinosaur Jr. Um, can be lauded for uh, are also true of pavement. And they also like the most nineties thing ever. Like they have a song in that Brady Bunch comedy movie from the <laughs> what is more 90s than that? <laughs> yeah, that, that I guess what is more 90s than that indeed. <laughs> How do you explain that to someone? If, if I sat in the classroom and I tried to explain that, they'd be like, wait, what? Because it was a sitcom in the 70s, and in the 90s they turned it into a you know an irreverent comedy film. Right, right. And a and a front man who's who's moved on, but we'll we'll keep it since pavement's moving on. And we got we got Kristen's blessing to, for Pavement to beat Wilco. Um, <laughs> Pavement will go on to face off against, and we'll just stay on this side of the bracket to make it easier. Uh, Pavement will go up against the number two vote getter in the poll, so they also got a buy out of the first round, and that is Wu Tang Clan, um, who I was so shocked did not have a hit. I mean, I I kept going back to Billboard because I was sure I was wrong. That's how shocked I was. That um Wu, that the Wu Tang Clan did not have a hit with um you know like Cream or you know any of those any of those songs that I felt like were kind of radio, um I definitely feel like I I heard on the radio but um they did not so Wu Tang was our number two vote getter they get a buy and they go on to face Pavement so Wu Tang versus Pavement Ed oh I'm gonna go with Wu Tang Clan um as a, just a huge fan and I I think it's it's one of the few things on this list. Uh, Wilco, to a degree, Wilco curates a festival. Wilco owns a record label, but Wu Tang Clan is is more than just like a collective of rappers. Like it's a brand with like an iconography. Um, I think it also kind of turned attention to hip hop in New York City. Um, I think they're, they're rapping about things like chess and like martial arts that are, it's just like changing everything. I'm going to have to go with Wu-Tang Clan. Kristen? 100% Wu-Tang Clan. These people are such icons, like Ghostface Killer, Method Man, Raekwon. I mean, and what's interesting is that they did bring so much attention to East Coast hip hop and hardcore rap. But when we talk about a song like Cream, there's something about that song that feels more like West Coast. Like, I feel like they transcended that fight between East Coast, West Coast hip hop. And yeah, no, I'm, I agree with that again. I'm gonna go with Wu-Tang Clan here. Okay, awesome. Wu-Tang is the first entry into our Elite Eight of our tournament, and they will go on to face the winner of Dinosaur Jr. versus Slater Kenny. Kristen? Oh, oh, now it's hard because we've talked about some of these bands before and you're like, now how do we compare these guys? Um, oof. Jeez, I really don't know. I'm, you know what? I'm going to stick with my ladies here and I'm going to go with Slater Kenny. And just a tough one, right? Just, yeah. they're, they get, they're just going to eke it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ed? I'm okay with that too. Um, okay. But it's like, it's the most minor of criticisms. But at this point, like, Dinosaur Jr. to me are like the ACDC of the 90s. Like you, it's just so reliable that they're gonna churn out a record that I'm gonna love from start to finish. Whereas I feel that Slater Kinney has grown more and, and, and grown in a way that doesn't feel like they're chasing trends or anything like that. Um, I'm already telling you right now, I'm just 
really not feeling if we have to pit Slater Kinney against Wilco. I don't know if you knew they were going to go on tour before COVID-19. And that sounded amazing because I think um, Jeff Tweedy and Kerry Brownstein are like the two funniest people in indie rock. So um, I'm going to go with Slater Kinney. I'm fine with that. Okay. And so, so we have a Slater Kenny Wu Tang Elite Eight matchup, but let's eulogize both Pavement and Dinosaur Jr. because these are these are twin pillars of the '90s, really, right? I mean, a very strong argument can be made that that at least Malcolmus and Mascus are the most influential rockers of that era, right? Absolutely. I'll go cut my hair and pour one um, out for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean, you're talking about in Jay Maskus, someone who Kurt Cobain wanted to be in Nirvana, but then wasn't, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, so that is the coolest thing you can do in the 90s, I think, is turn Kurt Cobain down to be in his band. Um, just, I mean, so much culture, so much style. When you, th- you know, when I, when I listened to Dinosaur Jr.'s first album, so the, I think the, the real popular one, that's Where Have You that's Been? That's the right? early am 90s, wrong? yeah. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, okay. So the so I listened to the to the record before that, which I did was not as familiar with. And what's funny is you can hear a lot of hair hair rock in that album, right? Like you can hear that the guitar playing, the the speed at which a lot of those songs are played at. You know, for, from a musical standpoint, it really is just the culture that's going to change, you know, that is gonna make bands go from I don't know, you know, what are, what are the quintessential 80s bands? I, I hesitate to say Guns N' Roses because really they, they, they had a big 90s as well. But, you know, whatever those bands that, I don't want to, is Cinderella a good example? I, I don't know. But those 80s hair bands that just fell off, you know, and became grunge bands, um, you know, you felt like there was a culture shift coming in just the way that Mascus is singing and just the way that, the, it's like it's being presented. Is that? Do you guys understand what I mean? I'm, I might not. Be, you might be able to articulate it better than me, but it feels like there's a packaging of this that that ushers in the '90s. What do they call it? Like highly stylized. Like it's unmistakable. And um, yeah, it does carry a bit of nostalgia too when you hear it now. It brings you back to that place, undeniably, for sure. And he's great at like producing as well. In addition to like writing and performing. Um, the pro- yeah, you're right. The production on these records is um, it's like a time capsule. And it really, yeah, it brings you back to the 90s. And, oh, Dinosaur Jr. Joe, I think it's that slacker thing. Yeah, It's like Jay yeah. can't help it. I, I think a lot of people assume that he's on drugs, which he's not. Yeah. He just right. like, has that, like, ultimate, like, 90s lack of effect. Um, right. But the other thing that I was just thinking about, which is kind of interesting, is that they're kind of an 80s band as well. And for the entirety, almost, I think, of the 90s, Lou is not in the band. Exactly, yes. It's all Jay. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the entire 90s, Lou was off doing Sebada uh, and uh, and Folk Implosion, and he came back in 2005, I want to say. Uh, yeah, Sebada, a band that just didn't have the the gots on Billboard to get into my list as much as I wanted them. There were so many bands on there that I wanted to will into this, like Buffalo Tom oh. and, um, you know, even, even They Might Be Giants were surprisingly devoid of any accolades on Billboard. Um, and I just love those bands so much. I, I wanted to cheat <laughs> this system very much. There were, there was a voice in me that was like, it's your show, Joe. You put the bands you like in. But I stayed true, and we kept all them out. And they are all of this time in a way that, yeah, sort of. Uh, but in a way, makes a good point for why Slater Kenny's moving on. Because, you know, their new album very much feels like it's of this time. And I think there's something very important to be said for that, too, right? Slater Kenny really, you know we want to talk about like the music industry as a whole has been really dominated by men for basically its entire existence. And especially in the nineties, there were a lot of female fronted or just entirely composed of female bands that didn't get that attention. And I think Slater Kinney is a really good representative for all of them. If we're talking about L seven and whole, um, they just didn't get their due. So yeah, I am very strongly in the corner of keeping Slater Kinney in the conversation here. Yeah, Veruca Salt too, who went yeah. out early in our in our tournament. Um, you know, I in researching for this too. Did you guys know this crazy Sting st- story about Veruca Salt? No. 
Have you guys ever heard this? So supposedly Ruka Salt's on Saturday Saturday Night Live at some point in like 1992 and um, Sting's the guest host. And it, right before the show goes on, Sting tells Lauren Michaels that he is going to do the second musical set. And Veruca Salt, very much speaking to this exact point you're making, Kristen, because it, there, there's no convincing me that this doesn't have to do with the same point about gender domination. Sting just does the second set. Veruca Salt just, it's just like too bad. Sorry. They weren't, they weren't big enough name. They weren't known well enough. And Lord Michaels just pulled them. So it's the one time in SNL where the, they, there's just the band does just the one set at the beginning and then they don't come back. And not only that, but to add in, insult to injury, Sting, when he introduces them, introduces them as Veronica Salt. Oh God. Which I just makes me so mad. <laughs> I missed all that. All of that is gross. All of that's terrible. It's awful. Yes, it's it's absolutely awful, but also speaks to the point that you're making. Ed, I felt like you were going to say something before. I was my just having like a random here. thought because we started on No Doubt, and the other day I was reading um, Consequence of Sound, and they had an interview. I love garbage, and I love <gasps> Shirley Manson. Yes. And and she told this story about how like when Garbage first got popular, they played like this MTV summer party with No Doubt. So like you had this show at this like beach house on MTV and it was garbage and no doubt. And, and Shirley Manson was kind of talking about how she wasn't comfortable being in like the sun. And, you know, she's this Scottish girl, it, it, a totally different sound. She's only really happy when it rains. <laughs> and there was a YouTube link and I was like, I've got to see this. I've got to see this MTV beach party with garbage and no doubt. Like, you know, they went on tour together in 2001 or 2002, I want to say. It, they came to... Um, was it still the FU Center at the time? The, it was very fun to say, the first union center, uh, the FU Center. But anyway, um, and the Distillers open for them, which is uh, fronted by Brody Daly, a band. I think they're out of Australia. They're really badass, too. Um, but it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. And Shirley and Gwen are very good friends. But it's been, I always liked Garbage, but I am surprised by how much my own affection for that band has continued to grow over the years. Shirley Manson, class, I didn't realize she was a classically trained singer and her influences that she will list. I mean, she just is loud and vocal about the things that she cares about. And Garbage is criminally underrelated with Butch Vig in that band as well. Like, come on. Yes, all the, all the praise to Garbage. You know, I so it's funny because I'm I'm a I don't want to digress too much because we got to get back to the tournament and Kristen, <laughs> it's practically late for you at this point, isn't it? I'm I'm so aware of your day. Your day is just different than other people's days. Thirty right? in the afternoon. I've been awake twelve hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Ed and I are in uh, high school. You know, the high school world, which isn't much different. It's not quite as bad as you, but it isn't much different. And you know, I it it dawns on me that I'm a little bit older than the, the two of you, and maybe just enough that. You know, I'm, I was kind of moving through the 90s at a slightly different age than, than you two. But, you know, I, so tell me your take on this thought that I grapple with often. I'm, I'm often so torn because I want to be really proud of our generation culturally. Because especially being in education, there's a lot about the way young people interact and the social mores of now and even the past you know 20 years that i thought we just got better that we were better at right there just seemed like there was an air of fighting for the underdog and you know wanting to be on the to be an outlier like you know being different but then it was like everybody wanted to be different so really being different wasn't different right but even that that notion or that idea was the goal makes me feel proud of us and then I watch YouTube. And then I happened to stumble upon the MTV Summer House in 1994. And I'm like, no, we were not that progressive. We, we were not doing it any better. Like we had really awful jilted sense of our roles and what how society was unraveling around us. And I'm just, sometimes I'm like, like every generation, I'm just giving myself too much credit. What do you, what do you guys think when you have that deep thought? Are we all, are we millennials here? Like I'm 36, I believe millennial, the oldest millennials are like 41-ish right now. Right, I'm 43. Okay. So I don't know if I qualify, do I not qualify? I'm, you're, you're Gen, Gen X. I, so. I think I'm the beginning, yeah, I'm just at the end, yeah. I'm 36 as well, so I'm a, 
uh, like an elder millennial geriatric millennials yes that, oh, right okay. but but you know what to be fair you guys like you so that that's what that's seven my, well, i'm an english teacher but that's that seven years right <laughs> the, the, between us right so but that's enough to be between high school and college right so I, so even you though it's know, not a big deal now at the time that we were younger it was a big deal but I, i'm gonna make this point this goes back to the argument we've had the entirety of this time is like the superficiality of the time boundary because uh you know i was telling you like i had a cousin he's definitely gen x but like i think it depends on your values and like kind of how you were raised and who you're around like I, I mean you know i have older parents so a lot of times I just feel like the Gen X stuff makes more sense to me. And also yeah. I, I came of age in the early 2000s and you were saying this idea of being progressive. I think there's this really loud conversation now with things like, oh my God, Britney Spears was a pop star when I was in high school and like the overt sexualization of her, like unbelievable how that was even it wasn't even called into in, into question or somebody like Paris Hilton was the butt of every joke and Paris Hilton was the, you know, a victim of a yeah. crime. <laughs> but, but I felt like Britney Spears was ushering in a new age at that time, Ed, like to me, Britney Spears was like a demarcation of like, okay, this, this time has ended, you know? Well, I, so I don't know, maybe what, it's different. I, I can't help as we're having this conversation, we start off, we mentioned no doubt. I, I can't help but think of, of uh, what's her name? Olivia Rodrigo. You know, I hear her latest single and it, it it's weird. I saw the video. The students made me watch it today. She's dressed like Britney Spears, but the, the chorus is like flirting with Riot Girl. It, it, it's it's so strange. Like, I think the again, the Internet scene is mixing everything together. So you have something that sounds like, you know, Bikini Kill and Britney Spears. It's almost like nothing is sacred. I think that's why we get so mad at this post-internet stuff. Yeah. Well, Kristen, you're a product of the time and a woman, and also still immersed in the music industry. So, what are we, what are we getting wrong? Gosh, I just, I think the year 2000 really changed people's understanding of like decades. Like for a lot of people, it feels like the 90s were just 10 years ago, but really, they were like, they were like 20, 25, even 30 years ago at this point. <laughs> They were. They were 30 years ago. Yes. Truly. And for for those of us who were in high school or college while the internet was being born, we want to talk about the way things were before the internet. I mean, and we've already discussed how how much men dominated the media landscape, whether it's the music industry or film or television, and how that's even now just starting to change now. Um, like I grew up in in Chester County, my dad was a cop. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. I had a very sheltered upbringing um, and always considered myself to be a very compassionate person, but it really wasn't until I'm like embarrassed by how old I was before I really started to use the internet in a way that allowed me to kind of eavesdrop on conversations from people who have different perspectives and walks of life that I've had. And I think that nothing is all good and nothing is all bad. And yes, the internet has a lot of superficial um, qualities to it and music is starting to feel disposable and it's keeping us so, it's like Aldo was Huxley's argument in Brave New World, like we're being entertained to death and we're just so focused on being entertained um, that nobody's really like bored anymore and the amount of time that people used to put into writing songs like just the way that we live life has changed so much these days so there's a lot of bad there but i was also say that there's there's a lot of good i feel like our generation is um kind of this we're the straddle between pre and post internet and we remember what life was like before it and just we're like fully aware of how drastically it has changed and um the the exposure that we've had to different perspectives and having our eyes open to things so i don't know that there's anything wrong with that you, you know like um like no we weren't as progressive as we thought we were but like i think about like my best friend coming out to me in high school and how big of a deal it was that he was a gay kid in catholic school and which we like got into freshman year in 1999 and now it's just so beautiful the way that children embrace each other and uplift each other so you know like you could go back to any point in history and be like oh big things were worse in the 80s than they were in the 90s i mean things were progressing and it's easy to look back on the nineties now and be like, Oh, that's embarrassing. But I, you know, we're, <laughs> things are progressing, maybe not as fast as we'd like them to, and maybe not um, to be where we wish that they would have been when we were younger, but I don't know. I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed about. 
a lot of excellent points there. Ed, were you going to say something or? I mean, I, I was going to think that doesn't every generation think they failed? Yeah, you know, like I, I was having this random thought, like, uh, you know, uh, the, the Rolling Stones documentary, Give Me Shelter. Like, that's the end of the hippie thing. You know, like the peace, love, we're going to fight the war, Woodstock, we're going to change it. And then it ends with like a horrific murder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess not everybody has that level of, or no, maybe they do. And I think this speaks to Kristen's point, right? I think when we were growing up, or at least when I was in high school, it felt like the, you know, the grimier your flannel, the cooler you were, you know, the more obscure Morrissey album you wore, you know, like I wanted to be like, yeah, you have your arsenal, but I'm wearing Kill Uncle. And you never, you never even heard that. Like, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of that. I didn't feel like, and maybe there won't ever be again, only because culture is so accessible now all right so there you go round one of our 90s no hit wonders countdown with kristen curtis and ed clark thank you so much for listening and join us next time for part two of the bracket remember that if you want to follow along you can find round one and round two in two separate brackets so it doesn't give anything away right in our show notes just click on bracket number one and you can uh, play along with us from home but until next time uh, we're really happy to have had you like subscribe leave us a review if you like the podcast we are a three crones production thanks for joining us until next time we'll be seeing you